Welcome to BioTalk. My name is Jeff Meyerson, CEO and co-founder of Locust Walk, and you're listening to BioTalk, our podcast for biotech dealmakers. Today, I sit down with Oneza Kateri-Manier, Executive Vice President, Chief Global Product Strategy and Operations Officer at Ionis Pharmaceuticals, a publicly traded leading developer of antisense technology to discover and develop novel drugs. Prior to Ionis, Oneza was the Chief Commercial Officer for Grail Biosciences, an early detection genomics company where she developed the commercial strategy and business model. Prior to Grail, she was Vice President of the Respiratory Franchise at Genentech, where she built and managed a team of more than 400 employees responsible for successfully commercializing medicines that generated approximately $3 billion in revenue. Oneza has held multiple senior management positions overseeing corporate strategy, alliances, and marketing and sales for numerous disease areas for Genentech, Pfizer, and Amelin Pharmaceuticals. She is an MBA from the University of Chicago and a bachelor's degree in economics from Queens College. Welcome to Biotalk, Oneza. Let's dive in. So, Oneza, a uh, question for you. How did you find yourself in the biotech industry? What brought you here? Um, you know, it's a good question. I would say, Jeff, it's mostly um, through happenstance, as it is for most people, I think. You you always think when you're young and coming out of school, you have a real great goal, and this is where you want to go. But most people really stumble into their roles. And, and you actually hope that the work just falls in line with your passion and your purpose. Um, so I started off my career in consulting and fell into project and life sciences by chance. I found it intellectually really stimulating and, you know, not to sound um, really trite, but, you know, there was a patient at the end of it. And I do think that really was quite meaningful to me. And I was working on other areas too in the industry, but honestly, like insurance just didn't really cut it. I mean, I was thinking about how to manage risk and, and how do you how do you do best risk manage for people, which could be exciting to others, but certainly was not for me. Yep. No, that makes sense. And you actually glanced over a whole part of your background that's quite impressive with Grail, Genentech, Pfizer, Amelin. And I guess, I don't know if you have any takeaways from that part of your career that you use either now at Dionys or just insights you want to share. Yeah, you know, I would say all of them are um, really just different growth and learning opportunities. I mean, Pfizer is just a really big global company taught me that healthcare at the end of the day is really local. Um, and that as much as our products are global and you try to centralize everything out of New York headquarters, you have to adapt really your customer strategy to the local healthcare markets. And 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 even in the United States, the markets adopt very locally. Um, so I think, you know, if I think about um, kind of the learning there is just spend some time outside of your own environment. Um, I had the opportunity to spend some time in France and really learn um, how different that market operates and everything that you're sitting off in, you know, your headquarters office is just not that relevant when you get down to the local level. So each business becomes really very different. Um, Amlin was smaller company was my first time going from a large Pfizer to a smaller Amlin. Um, and there, I think, you know, um, it's really how do you operate and pivot when when your company strategy is no longer your company strategy that's devolving, right? Um, you know, Amlin went, uh, we went through some really tough times. We had a CRL from the FDA twice on our late stage product. Uh, we had one mid-stage um, data failure. Um, we had a relationship um, 
with an alliance partner, a large strategic that created another competitive alliance. So there were many headwinds uh, that we faced. And uh, you're not to say we've got an activist on our board. So how do you actually go through those rough patches and, and really kind of think about leadership and strategy um, through those particular ones. And we came out of it in a really great way. We had a nice exit. We sold to BMS and AZ at the end of the day, but it was a, it was a turbulent journey. Um, But those are the ones where you learn the most from. Oh, of course. So you were custom built then for this current role. So maybe you could share your journey as to what brought you to Ionis and kind of what are your uh, thoughts on the future? Yeah, so Ionis, you know, so I always come to things that require a bit of a challenge, I would say, and um, and an opportunity at the end of it, if you can work through it. And uh, what I really loved about Ionis was just the people. When I came in and I took the took to Brad and and our, our CSO and and you know Frank Bennett and um, uh, Eric Swayze and. And Richard Geary, our head of development, these are just great people I could see collaborating with. And they jointly had a vision that was very different um, than the founding company um, CEO to really think about how uh, Ionis was going to become a fully integrated bio company where everything that was coming out of this technology that they had spent 30 years in mining and perfecting and learning from was just kind of at its prime. Uh, but many of um, the early stage um, assets were actually already out licensed to other pharma companies. And so the vision was like, we'd really love to keep our own discoveries in house, bring them directly to patients, keep more of our value, right? Um, that's always a big part of it as well. And and although we got some really great funding in the early years from deals like with Biogen, and, and I'm sure the company would not be as far along if we hadn't done those deals, this was going to be a different era and a different time. So that was really the most exciting part um, of joining it. Great platform coming into its prime and great people. Well, you as a commercial executive obviously fits with that new vision, but imagine it's not easy to turn a ship that was so R&D and outlicensed focused to then becoming a commercialize your own products company. Uh, what were some of the the challenges that you mentioned that you had to overcome and, and how has that evolved uh, over time? Yeah, I mean, I think we're we're going through the journey, right, in in a really big way. I think what I what I like what I said I really holds true today. I'm in my fourth year here. Is just the people really want to do this. Um, so the commitment is really strong, and I don't think anybody's wavering from the commitment, regardless of you know what kind of headwinds you may face, right? So that's like just foundational. But I think that's been um, probably um, the most encouraging part of where we're headed. Um, we know we're going to get there. I think the um, I think the um, areas that one needs to maybe think about as you're going into this is the amount. Whenever you say I want to take my products commercial, it's not just about building a commercial organization and bolting it on. It really requires for you to go upstream quite a bit. And this is a strategic way to transform the company along all areas, including research, development, manufacturing, regulatory, right? It's every finance, um, legal, um, compliance. Um, so I think the um, you just don't think through the 
the enormity of it. Um, and it's just never going to be successful if you're just building on some commercial, you know, teams kind of at the end. So what I really loved is the embracement of some of the work we're doing all throughout the different functions and just how how much um you know, openness there is to being able to adapt new ways of thinking, new ways, new processes, um, and um, and and still interrogating in the scientific approach of why we need this and how much value is it going to add, and are we creating this just for the sake of creating? Right. So, for me personally, I've actually really loved this interrogative part of our culture that comes from the scientific process, because it is very um, data-oriented, um, debate-oriented, and we do actually do a lot of healthy debate, you know, which I think has been um, fantastic for all teams, including the commercial and the business development teams that have, you know, joined because um, it expands your ideas, expands your way of thinking. Um, and uh, we have some really, really viscerous debates. We come out of it with better ideas and liking each other. And I think that's really important. Well, you probably introduced the concept of a target product profile to the company, which I'm sure they hadn't heard of before. I imagine that's part of what you're talking about, where and actually a lot of small companies probably don't do this well enough either. In Locust Walk, we see a lot of that issue where it's the so what? Are you building something where there's an unmet need or just because you're following the science? And those could be in conflict, they could be in concert, and you have to work through that. Does that resonate? It is resonating, yeah. Um, so I think the company was familiar with target product profile, how we use them and where we use them uh, and how we evolve them through the different asset stage gates. It's probably where the key learning Interesting. is. Interesting, interesting. So how do you use it in early research when you're really thinking about, you know, a novel target, um, I'm talking about target engagement. I'm really trying to understand the proof of biology, you know, and am I going to be able, what value are you going to add at that stage of a TPP? And then how does that actually, and it does, there is value. And how do you actually um, take that at the highest level and, and get more granular over time where you're maybe making your, you know, pivot go decision when you're going to a phase three, right? What does that look like differently? How do you adjust risk in a platform technology where you believe if I've done this once in uh, with Spinraza and all of neurology is going to look like that? Is that really true? Have I assessed fully the PTRS of the asset moving along the different stage gates in the most appropriate way? And then, you know, we have the um, embarrassment of riches problem where we have a lot of <laughs> we can apply this technology to a lot of different places, a lot of different targets. And how do we actually really pick the ones that are going to create the most value for the company for us versus where they may be better suited for a partner to bring forward. Uh, and we have the luxury of, you know, getting revenues from both sides of the equation, both R&D revenue, as well as, you know, um, our own commercial revenues as well. So it's been, uh, it's been a lot of that. So for a company that doesn't have an Onesa, do you have any advice on how to think about that process, especially if they don't have the same level of resource? Uh, yeah, well, I think that you do need one to two strong individuals that can advise a more um, R&D type of organization. Pot potentially, that comes from external to the organization as opposed to having it internally. But I wouldn't say that you want to 
have the thought process in there. Maybe when you have more people internally, you're putting in a more consistent uh, you know, process for us to think about throughout the entire organization over time. But building kind of the architecture, if I so want to say it, should be there. And um, and that can come from somebody internally um, that, you know, as Brett chose to hire me as his first hire when he became CEO, or it could come from, you know, um, externally as well. But making the decision to when to build those capabilities in-house is really very clear. But the first part of the architecture and the strategy, I think, can be done um, with a leadership team that has some really good advisors. Um, and, it, and it's making sure that it's integrated into the culture of decision making, I think, is what I took away is the key. That is really the critical part. And I do think you need, you need, uh, you know, a couple of people internally that have um, been through the learnings and actually lived the FIPCO life and, and um, have some lessons learned, right? At the end of the day, most of the executives can actually show some of the things that they see are intuitive to them, but they really do come with experiences and can, and can actually show you the turns around the corner that you may not know if you haven't lived it. You know, as I always say to our head of research, it's like, um, you know, commercial is a really big category of capabilities. It's like me saying all of research is the same, right? Target biology is the same as medicinal chemistry when we know it's not. It's the same thing here. So it's like, which parts do you, are you really bringing in at the right times for the organization as Make well? Makes total sense. And then maybe putting your Ionis slash commercial head on, what excites you about the pipeline or innovations that you're seeing either internal to Ionis or things external that that are interesting to you? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, I'll go with what's exciting always to people who are um, in commercial is the late stage pipeline. So that is exciting. We have uh, a very robust late stage pipeline uh, in both neurology and cardiology um, you know, five indications in the next four to five years that can come to market just in our own pipeline, not looking at partners pipeline. So um, that's exciting. Um, that's attracting a lot of talent. I'm being, you know, I'm building a pretty um, robust, um, high talent organization. And that's probably the thing that's bringing most people on, along with the, the fact that we're very well capitalized, right? I think that thing gives a, a really good mid-market opportunity for people. So you're not totally on, you know, one asset company versus a large pharma that has so much. We're kind of right in that sweet spot middle for most people. Um, what excites me um, even more than the, the, the late stage pipeline is just the fact that we are continuing to invest and advance our technology as well. You know, our drugs today work best in neurodegenerative neurological disease and for cardiovascular disease, as I said. Uh, because we really honed in on mining the liver with antisense, right? We we know how to get the ASO into the hepatocyte that results in a lot of cardiovascular types of uh, products, but also, you know, potentially other disease states, such as the one we have for hereditary angioedema. Uh, but, the, but the fact that we can actually tackle not just the rare disease, but also the large prevalent diseases right now is also very exciting. So we're just thinking through strategically how we go from rare to broad. Uh, in our commercial model. 
Uh, and then in order for us to tackle additional diseases in the future, we've got to kind of expand the technology and get to, to other tissues. Um, so what's exciting for me is, you know, the deal we did with Bicycle um, a couple of years ago, we brought in the macrocyclic peptide technology for use and it's in our own kind of ligand conjugated antisense. And this allows us to get these therapeutics into different areas, such as muscle, cardiac muscle. Uh, potentially across the blood-brain barrier, where we know that right now with our intrathecal injection, we are probably somewhat limited in the types of diseases that we can get to, which are going to be smaller or of the size, let's say, just Benraza. But if we really wanted to get to Alzheimer's and others, we know we need to think about sub-Q or IV administration, right, in neurological disease. So that's exciting as well. Uh, and then uh, we did deal with uh, metagenomium. Um, last year yeah, for the development of DNA editing therapeutics, which is really a nice adjacency to where we are right now with our ASO platform to strengthen the company's position um, there as well. So um, that's been a nice early research collaboration that we've kind of given um, a core group of our, our early research scientists that are completely just focusing in on that as well. So you used the word um, either mid-cap or mid-market. It's, it's really true that you're looking to both buy and sell. You're looking to buy opportunities or in-license technologies to enhance what you're doing. But in certain cases, commercially, where it's not a fit, you'll out-license some of your programs to other partners. Is that a fair characterization of the IONA strategy, or is there other things uh, you're you're contemplating? I think that's a, a very fair characterization. Uh, we're not going to have the science. We're going to follow the science, right? Uh, but we're, what we put in is a portfolio planning process, which is very early. It goes through kind of, you know, our understanding of uh, a research scorecard on everything that we have from preclinical all the way to post-candidate selection and, and a development scorecard and a commercial scorecard. And through that lens, not just through an, you know, risk-adjusted MPV, are we actually making some really sound decisions of what the platform can and has the ability to produce that would be most suited for a partner and that ones that would be most suited for IONIS to bring forward. Um, and we like that approach. We, again, think that's pretty novel in the industry and it's taking our investor community a bit of time to understand, but we've done a lot of NDRs uh, in the last year and I think it's really taking hold right now. Yeah. Well, that's that's awesome. It's definitely tough to change the perception of the story, especially when you have such a broad pipeline. But certainly, that's that transformation is in progress, and it sounds like things are uh, going well from that front. Um, interestingly, you joined four years ago, as you said, which was probably slightly before COVID, and now we're on the other side. I'm curious what your views are uh, from an industry perspective and kind of your outlook going forward now that you've been at least with Ionis on both sides. And if you have any views, whether either from an IONIS lens or just things that you're seeing in the market. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you're taking me back. Yes. Uh, I joined at JPM 2020 and COVID hit. And uh, Oh, wow. So you didn't have too much time before March, that. Yeah, it was March 13th. It was the day after my birthday. That's why I vividly remember <laughs> it. Um, it had a um, pretty significant effect on all of us in um, not just the industry, but in terms of how how human nature is, right? We've gone through some pretty um, big shifts. Uh, for us, particularly at IONIS, uh, we did an acquisition during that time. Um, I had the majority of the people reporting into my organization and uh, doing an acquisition during COVID is um, 
is not for the faint-hearted in the sense that much of human connectivity is built through just live interactions. And as much as we like to get many things done on the efficiency of virtual Zooms and Teams, uh, the ability to integrate an organization um, and knowing uh, a very different phenotype of an organization into an R&D organization um, is really hard to do when it's just all virtual. Um, so it took a, a tremendous amount of effort. And I think we probably lost more people than I would have liked to in those early stages because people just go to and see who they were joining and you know, what the culture really is like and how does work get done and how do we have fun together? I mean, those parts were were really missing. Um, so I was really happy to get back to some some live um, interactions, even throughout that period. You know, we, we outdoor meetings and um, lots of different approaches. So that was um, that I think that was probably one of the more challenging parts. Sure, we had some some challenges on the business side. Um, in terms of clinical trial recruitment, but not that much. I don't think it really impacted the business. It was really about the people, the culture, and how we get work done together when we are growing and integrating at the same time. On the other side, looking forward, you know, I, I feel like the whole industry is really thinking about how to use this as an ongoing tool for much of the communication and the interaction that we have with our customers. Um, so I really heightened the way we think about digital, omni-channel, uh, and really not using it as just a, a complement, but a core part of the mix of our, of our promotion and communication as we go forward. Um, so we're really building a lot of those capabilities in-house now as we're, we're getting ready for some of our future launches as well. No, that's awesome. And I know you have a very unique culture, Ionis, from working together. There's a lot of in-person interaction is is part of it. So I, I certainly appreciate those challenges to be overcome. And and now that you're hopefully on the other side, things will get better from a human dynamic perspective. Absolutely. I think we're we're definitely in that hybrid situation right now, which seems to be working well for us. And you know, what are you seeing for other industries out there or other 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 biopharma. It's interesting. It's it's kind of almost geographic specific. I know San Francisco has much more work from home than Boston, which yeah. still has a hybrid, but I think it's a little bit more accepted here on the East Coast than than on the West Coast. So I, I think it's also company and geography specific, which well, yeah, Locust Walk, we're three days a week in the office, yeah, Tuesday yeah. to Thursday. So that's that seems to be the norm. Yeah, that's about where we've, um, yeah, that's where my Boston office team is at as well. So yes. makes sense. Look, I'm optimistic about the future. Just um, curious, do you share that optimism or how are you thinking about things going forward? And maybe we'll wrap up with that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, the innovation continues, right? I mean, you know, the capital markets have been in a, a bit of a flux. Uh, um, the macro environment, which we're facing, is not necessarily you know, has held helped the situation um, quite a bit, but I do see, it's nice to see encouraging some IPOs happening. I do see some investment back in, um, you know, more, um, more of the innovation that is closer to the clinic um, than before, but those are, I think, all really great signs. Um, 
And uh, a lot of innovation still coming out of the academic uh, environments. And we're actively looking at that. I'm sure all of the venture back companies are, are as well. So there's a bit of money sitting on the sidelines for what's going to happen next. But, you know, it's a lot of innovation and there's um, um, there's a, a lot of cash. So I'm, I'm looking forward to getting back to um, back to where we were maybe about a year ago and getting, uh, getting some of these, um, these, uh, new innovations out, um, towards, um, towards, uh, the research side of things and development side of things and getting some new innovation applications at the end of the day. Awesome. Well, we can go on for hours and days, but I really appreciate your time. This is great. Thank you so much. It's been a great conversation. I enjoyed learning more about you, about Ionis and, and your journey and, Look forward to hearing more and staying in touch. Thank you, Jeff. Always a pleasure to speak with you and, and Locust Walk. Thanks Thank for the so opportunity. Much. Absolutely. Take care. As we wrap up, I would like to highlight Locust Walk's recent RNA Innovation Conference, hosted in partnership with Dr. Frank Slack, Director of the Harvard Medical School Initiative for RNA Medicine, and Dr. Phil Zamor, Chair of the RNA Therapeutics Institute at UMass Chan Medical School. We are incredibly grateful for all of our presenters and attendees at this conference and encourage you to watch any of the conference back if this interests you. Presentations are available for 365 days. Please reach out to us if you'd like to get access to the link. I want to thank everyone for listening to this episode of Biotalk. We look forward to continuing a productive dialogue on our next episode. Please share with all of your friends and colleagues so we can grow the audience. This is Jeff Meyerson for Biotalk, signing off.